We're going to read our passage this morning together. If you have a Bible, do open it. Um, if you've got one of, uh, to Jonah chapter 3, uh, to, uh, to 2, Jonah chapter 2. I've been looking at Jonah chapter 3 through the week. Um, um, and and if, if you've got one of the church Bibles, um, it's on page 928, 928. If you'd like a church Bible, can you just wave and someone will bring you one? Lovely, just one at the front there. I think it's really important that we have uh, the Bible open in front of us as we both read it, as we look at it together, because actually what we're saying is, this is important, God. I want to learn what you have to say, and I want to follow in the Bible through uh, what the speaker has to say too. So page 928, Jonah chapter 2. As I said, it's Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. So Jonah's just been thrown overboard by a bunch of sailors into the sea that was raging. And this is what happens. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said... In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray together as just before Andy comes up. Father God, this is your word. We praise you that you have given it to us this morning in spite of it being written over two and a half thousand years ago. Lord, we read this, it's in front of us, and we realize that you want us to read it because today, this morning, it is the most important thing that we have to know right now. Father God, open our hearts to that truth our minds to your word. And may you use Andy this morning 
so that we might, be, be, might, know, might become more like Jesus, both in our hearts and in our knowledge of you. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, Phil. Well, it's, uh, it's exciting to be reading on together through this uh, book of Jonah. I don't know what your mates are doing this morning. Uh, some might be playing some football, some having a lie-in, um, some drawing. Um, who knows what your friends are doing? But when you see them next, you can, they'll say, what did you do this morning? You'll say, well, we read a bit of 2007-year-old poetry that was written inside a fish. And they'll say... Okay, spacey, that sounds interesting. And, uh, well, you can explain to them a bit of uh, what we read this morning. Some of us are listening right here, right now, and some of us might be listening on the podcast and perhaps listening through the week. We're really glad that you're tuning in as well to think about these big things together. You know, this sounds as though it's distant, doesn't it? As though 2,700-year-old uh, poetry written in that obscure situation, what's that going to say to me? But, you know, I think as we read through this passage this morning, we're going to realize that actually this resonates with our own hearts and our own situations. So, so stay tuned, even at the end. I want to pray at the end, perhaps for any of us here, who aren't yet walking with Jesus, that this morning, that you would begin to walk with him. Let's see where this passage takes us. So the first couple of chapters, or the first chapter has been uh, really quite terrifying. We've been peering over the edge of, the, uh, of this ship as it's been in this chaotic storm that just seems to get worse. And the sailors have done all they can to try to get themselves to the shore to save the situation. And they just can't make it. And at the end of chapter one, they've come to the terrifying conclusion that the only thing they can do is hurl Jonah over the side of the ship because maybe this kind of sacrifice will save their lives. I love the sea and uh, I love looking out across the sea. I've, uh, I've seen it sometimes when it's peaceful and calm and, and beautiful and refreshing for your soul to look at. And then other times I've seen it where it's angry and biting and curling over and tearing things apart. I don't know if you've ever seen that scene where somebody's gripping on to some old lilo or some inflatable banana and the wind's blowing the wrong way and the currents are powerful and it's sucking them out to sea and you're standing back and watching as they're gripping on and wondering are they going to make it. You might even hear the, t the helicopter taking off. It's so powerful, so awesome. This passage it talks about a terrible down and then it talks about and the most incredible up and the passage as Phil has read it to us we can keep it open in our Bibles we can read it also on the screen it says this at the last verse of chapter one now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. At first reading, 
That sounds like a a terrible thing, that this fish had come. It was bad enough, surely, and now he's been swallowed by a fish. But interestingly, see that phrase in verse 17, the Lord provided. That's a phrase that echoes through the Old Testament, where things seem utterly hopeless and utterly broken. There's no future. Then this phrase comes along, the Lord provided. It happened on a mountain. It happened in different situations. There seems to be no hope, and then the Lord provided. And this language, well, this ancient language, actually, this is the language of rescue. There's Jonah tumbling over the side, beginning to drift down, and the Lord provided and this great fish comes and captures Jonah there's another phrase that kind of resonates through the Bible there as well in verse 17 he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights what does that make you think of well we'll read on through the passage and see where it takes us well we've read together the poem already And uh, we've read those verses 1 to 10. So let's go through and just try to underline some of these parts. Now this really, I'm sharing with you what I do in my quiet time as I read through this passage again and again. um, I color in different parts because the first part of this passage is the most terrible down. Everything is broken and desperate, full of distress and despair. So, from inside the fish, you see that in verse 1, Jonah prayed. And in verse 2, he speaks of his distress. In my distress, I call to the Lord. You see later in verse 2, that from deep in the realm of the dead, that's where he had been thrown. That's where he had been hurled. That's what verse 3 says. You see that in verse 3 at the beginning? You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me, all your waves and breakers. They swept over me. I said, I have been banished. This is Jonah hurled into the depths, the waves sweeping over him, banished from God's sight. Hopeless, it seems. Let's read on as we see just how desperate this down is. As we read on, it says this. The engulfing waters threatened me. You can see that in verse 5. He says how the deep surrounded me. In verse 6, he says, I sank down. Later in verse 6, he says, the earth beneath barred me in forever. He speaks of being sent into the pit. His life in verse 7, ebbing away. The last part says this, that really he had been clinging, clinging to worthless idols and how he'd been turning away from God's love for them. It's the most terrible, almighty, dreadful down that 
Jonah experiences. And it seems that there is no hope for him at all. No future for him at all. It's all right. Thank you, Phil. So you could draw it like this. If you gathered all these together, you could draw it as an arrow that just reaches down. He's inside the fish. He's in distress. He's deep in the realm of the dead, hurled down, swept over, banished, threatened, surrounded, sunk down, barred in forever. He's in the pit, life ebbing away, clinging to worthless idols, turning away from God's love. What a terrible situation. What an awful picture. And it's all really summarized by this phrase that he's turned away from God's love. He's turned away from God's love. I wonder whether this resonates with any of us this morning. I wonder if you feel something like this. Distress, realm of the dead, hurled down, swept over, banished, sunk down, barred in, pit, ebbing away of a life, clinging to worthless things, that God's love seems so distant. But that's only half the story. There's another half of the story. And it is infused through this whole passage Back up in verse 2, he says that in his distress, he called to the Lord. He called to the Lord and he hears an answer. You can see that in verse 2. He answered me. He says that he listened. He speaks to God and says, you listened to my cry. Further down in verse 4, he says, I will look again toward your holy temple. In verse 6, he says, You, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. He says, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you. And in those last verses, in verse 9, he's speaking of shouting with grateful praise. He's still in this terrible situation, but he can see that that day's going to come. And he's going to sacrifice to God and how his testimony, how his shout is going to be that rescue or salvation comes from the Lord. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. That's verse 9. And so, as well as having this terrible down in this passage, there is this glorious up that just lifts our eyes, lifts our heads. It says there is a future, there is a hope, there's a way out, there's a way through. So what has this, what is this passage talking about? What has it got to say? He closes by saying, salvation comes from the Lord. You know, it's like a passage that runs in stereo. And in one ear, there's the 
chaos, the terror, the distress, and the despair. And then in the other ear, there's this symphony of hope and future and glory and resurrection. And this this song is echoing in both. And slowly it seems that the song of resurrection is the one that breaks through as there is a hope and a future and up. And this passage, it's relevant in three ways. I'm sure it's relevant in more than this, but we're going to look at it in three ways. First of all, in the life of our new friend, Jonah. Of course, this story, this song is about Jonah. You know that I love music and I love listening to music. I love sitting and listening as people tell me the story behind the song. I wonder whether Jonah later in Nineveh was going to sing this song and tell his story as he sung the song. Uh, I know people who do that. You might know people who do that. This song is Jonah's song. As he speaks about the chaos and the brokenness, the lack of hope and future, and then how God's intervention breaks in, and now he can see a future and a light and something beyond what had seemed a broken and despairing and hopeless horizon. I think whenever we read a passage of the Bible, we want to read it as though we're standing in the, the sandals of the person for whom the passage was first written or who first penned those words or scratched them out, um, those words first. This is Jonah's story. But perhaps as we're reading it, we realize also that this is my story, your story as well, the story of you and me. You know, As we peer back through all those years and see Jonah in that situation and in that hopelessness and despair, it's unlikely that in the next few days we're going to find ourselves hurled overboard and in the belly of a fish wondering what to write or what to sing. But somehow this ancient poem resonates with us because we have been there too. We have known that despair and that questioning and that brokenness and that sense of God are you there or that realization that I've been pushing away from him, pushing in my direction, just ignoring him and pressing him out of my life. But in this passage, in this ancient piece of poetry, Jonah His heart is turned by God towards God until he's speaking to God and crying out to God and telling God about the situation. And the reason that this passage is here is because the Holy Spirit wants to induce in us, awaken in us a longing and a thirst that we would realize that as we cling on to useless things, we're not going to rescue ourselves. We need something bigger. We need a God intervention. We need him to reach into our lives. We need him to lift us up. He wants us to be humbled before him so that he could lift us up. You see, he deeply loves you. 
And he deeply wants you to know that connection with him, that hope and future and bright resurrection kind of life that comes from relationship with him. And we grip onto all sorts of things, but none of them are big enough to bring us to that kind of horizon of hope. Some of us still grip onto little things with the illusion that they're going to rescue us in the end. Perhaps this new relationship, or perhaps that new job, or once I've finished these studies, or bought that extra thing, then life is going to really kick off. But actually, as we get to that horizon of hope, it's just another disappointment. It's not quite big enough to bring the rescue that we need. And God wants to turn our eyes from those little things to realize we need a a bigger intervention than that. Something infinitely bigger. This passage is about you and me. Maybe you have that sense of of distress, of being deep among the dead, hurled down, waves and breakers sweeping over, banished, surrounded by the deep like something like a shroud wrapped around our heads in a pit, life ebbing away. Well, God wants to, he wants to lift you up. He wants you to know that there's a, a rescue, that salvation, rescue comes from him. So this passage is about Jonah, his story, the song that he sang. The story he told before he sung the song. But it's also about you and me. If we were to go straight to our tea and coffee now, we might say, yeah, I've been there. I'm there now, maybe some of us would say. But it's also about a third person. It's about Jonah, yes. It's about you, me, yes. But it's also It's also about Jesus. In three places in the New Testament, Jesus says to people who are saying, Jesus, show us a sign. Give us some food. Heal somebody over there. And Jesus says, well, you're going to get the sign, the sign of Jonah. And this is how he explained it. This particular time is in Matthew chapter 12. You might want to turn to it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. It's on the screen as well. This is what he says. He, that's Jesus, answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus, about 750 or so years later, says, look, look back to Jonah because he's a picture of me. And as we keep studying, we'll find there's a couple of ways in which Jonah is a picture of Jesus. But we've got permission from Jesus himself to say, look, Jonah is like 
Jesus. He's like a faint, fuzzy, out-of-focus picture of Jesus and what Jesus did. So Jonah, yes. You, me, yes. But Jesus, too. We read about this terrible situation of Jonah, and we recognize that it's a bit of it in our lives, too. He's inside He's in distress, he's in the realm of the dead, hurled down, swept over, banished, threatened, surrounded, sunk down, barred in, pit, life ebbing away. Jesus experienced this. You could say, you could certainly say, to a greater extent than even Jonah experienced this in this passage We're talking about Jesus' death. As I was preparing this, I found this passage deeply moving. Kind of broke my heart again as I read it. And thought about how Jesus experienced this to an even greater extent than Jonah or even you and me in whatever challenges we're going through, infinitely greater distress that Jesus experienced. He went to the realm of the dead. He was hurled into the depths. He was swept over. He was banished. Did you notice how Phil prayed? He prayed to the God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect, glorious relationship for all time. Jesus forever in that relationship. And yet, on the cross, as he died, he was excluded, banished from that relationship. He was threatened. He was surrounded. He sank down. He was in the pit. His life ebbed away. He was treated like those who cling to worthless idols. You might say, but wait a minute, Jesus didn't cling to worthless idols. That's true. But he got what comes to those who cling to worthless idols. He experienced the love of the Father turned away from him. That is what Jesus experienced as he died on that cross. Jesus You might say, you know, that's a really strange state of affairs. Why would Jesus be treated like that? Because if we were to measure it up, Jonah, he utterly failed. Look at him. Here he is told by God to go this way, and he runs this way. He deserved being thrown into the sea. He didn't deserve the rescue, perhaps just a temporary rescue for some of us reading it for the first time. It might be appearing of being rescued by a fish. You and me, we deserve to not be connected to God, to be banished. Look at your heart really. Really look at it. Because my heart is scarred and sullied by wrongness and rebellion. I could 
never deserve to be in God's presence, in relationship with him. How could I ever make that claim? I should be banished. Jesus, though, he did everything right, didn't he? He did everything perfectly, didn't he? He was clean, wasn't he? You're right, he was. And yet, this passage seems to speak and echoes with the truth that a swap takes place. That Jonah, who deserves to be banished, he has a hope and a future. And Jesus, who's a picture of of Jonah, well, he is banished and excluded and pressed down into the realm of the dead, even though he doesn't deserve it. Across this country this morning, across the world today, in different contexts and different cultures, men and women and children too are hearing about this dreadful exchange, this swap. The God who comes is clean and pure, the people who are broken and distant, and this God who takes the place of the sinful people. And how does he do it? He does it as Jesus dies on the cross. This passage really leaves us with two groups of people. It leaves us with those who turn away from God's love for them. I hope that's none of us here this morning. And there are those who say salvation, rescue, comes from the Lord. You know... This passage begins with that picture of people clinging to to useless idols. We began our, our conversation about this passage with that picture of somebody floating out on this terrible storm. The riptides dragging the lilo out and they're hanging on. The helicopters thumping over and we're all wondering, are they going to be rescued? You can imagine the scene now as somebody's kind of repelled down and this rescuer and all their gear is reaching out to this person as they're hanging on to the lilo and the the waves are splashing over and we're all on the beach and the wind and the rain we're saying hold on reach out get rescued and the person you could imagine somebody just saying if I let go of this I'm lost I still might make it I'm not going to let go of the lilo and we're all saying no they can't hear us of course but no hold on reach out get lifted up by the man in the helicopter get rescued and this passage has got that picture it's got picture of people holding on clinging on for dear life to useless things that can't rescue them and it's saying to us look let go of those things Let God rescue you. There's only one who can rescue. There's only one who can bring you to restoration. And that's the God who came in the person of Jesus to die on the cross to bring you into relationship with the God who loves you, who loves you so much that he died instead of you on that cross. Jesus didn't stay dead because he was innocent, he was clean. Jesus, he rose from the dead. 
conquering death, our champion, the pioneer. And that's why we look to him this morning. He's alive, risen, and he wants to share that victory with those who would cling on to him and on to him only. There's a call in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and it says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. That's the call this morning. That we would humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, because his loving and good purpose is he wants to lift you. He wants to lift you up. He wants your heart to resonate with the song that salvation, that's an old word for rescue, that rescue comes from the Lord. That is how Jonah's song ends. Rescue, salvation comes from the Lord. So we have this invitation as our passage ends. Some of us are walking with Jesus and we, though, have been beginning to cling on to other things. And here this morning, God is saying to you, he's saying to me, stop hanging on to those things. That relationship, perhaps as beautiful it is as it is, isn't going to bring you the rescue you need. That next thing at work or that qualification or that next thing you want to buy, if you're hanging on to them at the cost of hanging on to me, you're going to be disappointed. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me, let go of those things. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. Others of us here this morning, perhaps we've never said to God from the bottom of our hearts, God, I've been arrogant, really. I've been so short-sighted, thinking that hanging on to this little thing, my image, my future, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to create, that that is going to bring me hope and life and resurrection. Here this morning, I'm going to lay those down. You're the Lord. My situation is worse and more desperate than I could have ever realized but your rescue is more complete and glorious than I could have ever dreamed. And this morning I let go of those things and I turned to Jesus and I put my trust in him, the one who died instead of me, so that I could be rescued. Let's close in prayer together. And perhaps some of us this morning are going to pray as though it was for the first time, saying to God, please, I want to know that rescue of Jesus, his death for me, counting for me. I believe you died to bring me hope and future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning where we can stop and read this ancient passage. To start with, it seemed so distant. And now as we've read on, we've realized that actually it's the very song of our own souls. We recognize that distress, that banishment, 
the deep surrounding us, the pit, life ebbing away, turning from your love. We recognize that in our own hearts. And this morning, we want to cry out to you. We want to pray that you would draw us back to you again, that we wouldn't cling to worthless idols, but instead we would turn to your love for us, that love that was expressed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of us here this morning for the first time want to say, God, I'm turning from everything else. I'm leaving all that to one side, all the other rescue plans that I'd thought of. I'm going to let go, and Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust that you died for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be cleaned. I trust that you died in my place, that you, Jesus, rose from the dead so that I could have life in all its fullness. Lord Jesus, I call on your name. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Lord and my king. Lord Jesus, others of us this morning, we're seeing again just how glorious, how wonderful, how majestic, how gracious your heart is that you would come and die for me. We want to live a life of worship where we set everything else aside and live for your glory, Lord Jesus. Thank you that this changes everything in this week. We want to live for your honor as we press into it. We want to live for your glory as we step forward. We worship you, Jesus, and we head into this week with eyes fixed on you, with our heads lifted up, because you, Jesus, are our savior, our pioneer, the champion. We want to live for your glory. We worship you this morning and we entrust each other into your loving and powerful hands. Amen.